encourage you to go ahead and open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. This morning before our uh, D groups, Paul Jr. shared some uh, sad news with us. Uh, uh, mutual friend of ours, more of his than mine because he, he worked with them almost every day. Uh, Tommy Dorsey, I, I'd work, I worked with Paul every now and then at Fairhaven, and I met Tommy Dorsey. And uh, he was lost as a golf ball in high weeds. And when he ever tried to talk with him about the gospel, he'd, he'd get very uncomfortable. He'd want to change the subject, and Paul and I were both praying for him, and uh, he came down with the terminal illness, but in that, he came to know Jesus Christ. He repented of his sin, put his faith in Christ. It was a true, genuine, and you could see it in his life and the, his, in, in the way uh, that he talked and lived out the rest of his life. A child of God, uh, loving the Lord, and so that was wonderful and great. And I knew that he, was, he loved his grandchildren uh, dearly. And we just found out a couple of weeks ago that one of his grandson, two years old, right? Two-year-old grandson had cancer. And then we just found out that it's terminal. And it's, that's heart-wrenching. And in the context of death, and speaking of death is where we get our scripture that I'm starting with this morning. It's in the context of death. Jesus is talking with His disciples about death. About His death. And they were distraught. It wasn't in their, their plans. You're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. He does not die as far as they thought. They, didn't, they misunderstood the Scriptures. They thought that Christ has come. He was going to set up His kingdom. And they were going to rule, reign and rule with Christ then and uh, conquer the Romans and everything's going to be wonderful according to their plans or the way things should be. And it's certainly not in our plans when we have a two-year-old child die in our family or is diagnosed with terminal. That's not part of the plan, is it? We don't expect to live forever. That's certainly not part of the plan. And so for them, they were shocked. Jesus talking about death, that's not part of the plan as far as they saw it. And in the context of that, that's when Jesus said to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Because they were. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now what mere man could say, if I said, well, you know, you believe in God, believe in me. I would hope every one of you would step up and walk out the door to show that you didn't believe in me. Look at Jesus, this God. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go you know, and the way you know. Then Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we cannot thank you enough this day that even in the face of death, even though our hearts are saddened at the news of this toddler, and our hearts are saddened when it happens in our families and among our, our church fellowships, that we, can, we know this truth that our, even though our hearts are sad, they don't have to be troubled. They can be full of faith and gratitude knowing that you have given us the victory over death through the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray that each and every one of us here today knows that. I'm not asking, Lord, that we just know about it. I'm praying that we truly know it and have faith in it. And if there's somebody here today that doesn't, that that would change before we leave today. That in repentance and faith, they would turn to the Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that knowing that, it would be a blessing and a strength to our hearts and lives the way that we live in this world 
and it will affect what we do and that would share this good news with the lost and dying world. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. You know, the most heart-wrenching question that I get as a pastor is in the context of a child dying or a spouse dying and leaving one spouse behind with little children to raise. It's in context of things like that that I get this heart-wrenching question. This is not, it's a paraphrase of all of them put together. They're basically asking this. If God is all-loving and all-powerful, why is there so much brokenness in the world? I think it's a fair question. God's all-powerful, you say, preacher. And God's all-loving. Well, if He's all-loving and all-powerful, why is there so much heartache and brokenness in the world? And the thing is, that's the way it is. But that's not God's original design for the way things should be. God's original design for us was perfection. And that's why we still long for, perfect, for, for perfection as much as we can get it, right? We do, don't we? When you buy a new car, do you want a new car that already has problems? Or do you want a car that's as close to perfect as it can be, right? When you get married, you, you want a, the perfect spouse, right? And you want the, the perfect house. Now, Wes can help you with the perfect house part, help you if you have some problems. But we want the perfect spouse, we want the perfect house. When we have children, we want the perfect children. Although we know that nobody will be perfect, but we want them as close to perfect as possible, right? We do. And we, there's something inside, just inside of us all that we know there is a perfection. And we long for that. You know, in a perfect world, we would have perfect people. I'd have a perfect head of hair. <laughs> in a perfect world. Uh, we would have perfect relationships. We would have perfect health. We would have perfect peace. There would be no COVID-19. There would be no suicide bombers. There would be no war, no armies needing to withdraw or, or go to a certain place. There'd be no police stations. My son would be out of a job. There'd be no divorce courts. There'd be no hospitals. There'd be no funeral homes. I'd be out of a job. And we wouldn't have this funeral home to meet in for our Thursday night Bible studies <laughs> uh, down in Warner Robins. Nothing would be broken in God's perfect world. So what happened to God's original design? Well, it all began with one perfect couple who had a perfect relationship with each other and with God in a perfect environment. As they say, it doesn't, and it literally doesn't, get any better than that. A perfect couple with a perfect relationship with each other and with God in a perfect environment. However, God made our first parents with a free will. They were perfect human beings, not perfect robots. Yep, not perfect robots. Because <laughs> if you're a robot, you do everything that you're programmed to do. Now, they are, they've come up with this now. I've heard about these robots in Japan and people are marrying robots. They have a robot as a spouse. Now think about that. You know, your spouse is always going to do what you want uh, your spouse to do. Going to say the things you want your spouse to say. But really, what satisfaction do you get out of having a robot that's programmed to do everything that you say and that you wanted to do? Does that satisfy you? Does that give you any... Uh, blessing at all. So if God made us robots, then we would just be doing everything God programmed us to do. But God made Adam and Eve. They were perfect human beings, but not perfect robots. They had the choice. They had, God gave them a choice to love and trust and obey Him and to remain in that state of perfection 
or to choosing to go their own way and bring brokenness and death into the world. Now they chose the latter. We know the story. And every one of their descendants, including each of us, we've done the same. The Bible has a word for this choice of going our own way and doing things our own way. It's called sin. Our sin brought all this brokenness into the world by breaking our relationship with God. God was very clear with them then, and He's very clear with us now. The payment for sin, the consequence of sin is, say it, death. We live in a very broken world, not because of anything that God did directly or could not do, but because of what Adam and Eve and all of us have done. It's because of our sin. The good news is that God did not leave us and give us up to live and die in this brokenness. The Bible is very clear that the payment for sin is death, but God Himself paid the payment for us. That God Himself paid that penalty for us. Here's what God did. God sent perfection back into the world. In His Son, the Lord Jesus. He sent His perfect, sinless Son into this world who lived a perfect, sinless life. The life that we could not do. He lived that life for us. Then God took our sin and placed them on His perfect, sinless Son. And Jesus paid the price for our sins. He paid the penalty for our sins through His death on the cross and resurrection. God broke His Son for us so that we could be healed of our brokenness. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When we repent of our sins and place our faith in what Christ did for us, we are born again and completely forgiven. God gives us a new heart and uh, puts us on a path to recover and pursue His original design for us and to be with Him forever. That's what this message is about this morning. Now, Apostle, I mean the Apostle Paul. Pastor Paul. <laughs> Pastor Paul has begun a sermon, a sermon series on heaven and looking in heaven. He wants us to imagine, investigate, and uh, the third word is my mind. Imagine, investigate, and uh, contemplate. What now? Anticipate. That was it. Imagine, investigate, and anticipate heaven. And that's what we need to be doing. But I felt impressed that I need to share once again with something that I've, we've talked about before. You know, it's one thing to know about heaven. The important thing is to know how to get there, right? And how to tell others to get there. Because there's only three places human beings will be. Only three places. And every human being will be in two of these three places. Every human being will be on earth and then they will be eternally in hell or eternally in heaven. And while we're on this earth, people have the opportunity to change the direction where they're going as a place called hell to a place called heaven. And how can we... You know, the greatest thing you could ever do is share with someone about this, to share the gospel with somebody and how they can know they can go to heaven. And I want you to anticipate this, not only about you being in heaven, but about who will be in heaven with you. Will you take anybody with you? Will you lead anybody to heaven with you to heaven? Will there be people in heaven there because you were faithful to the great commission that our Savior gave us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you? Will there be people in heaven with you because you allow God to use you to lead them to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, no greater assignment do we have as parents than do that with our children. And I agree, that's where it all begins. Dads, it begins in the home with your family, with you and your wife and your children. It's your responsibility to make sure, and I appreciate that prayer, I pray that prayer all the time, that God would touch their hearts at the right moment and open their eyes to the seeds of truth that we planted in their lives, hopefully not only at church, at church, but also daily at home as we share the gospel and the truth of God's word with our children. That God would uh, bring those seeds that we planted to life and, and they would see and, and know Christ and trust Him and put their faith in Him. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go uh, back over something that, that we've done before. I think I'm going to put this right over here. And it's called the three circles. How many of you remember that? And I want to encourage you to get something out right now with a pen. This to me, and I've done, I've studied many ways to share the gospel with uh, others and lead them to Christ. Uh, this one and sharing Jesus without fear are the ones I use the most. Another, another one is the Ray Comfort thing. Some of you probably have seen that before. Are you a good person? I, I use that one too. But this is very simple. And the thing I like so much about this is that you draw it as you're sitting down at the table with somebody. You just draw it. You illustrate it out. And that's what we're going to do today. So when you, uh, a good way to lead in this conversation is to, uh, when you're talking to somebody, you're looking for an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Uh, uh, there's... <laughs> Every conversation you basically have with somebody, if it's any length at all, it's going to get into something that's broken, right? Whether it's a car that broke down or something's messed up at the house or marriage that's broken or individual that's broken with drug addiction or, or broken with pornography addiction. or what, We could go on and on. There's a whole lot of brokenness going on in the world, right? So the way I would, I like to open this and... Uh, and open opportunity to share with somebody is ask them the question and write this question down. Do you ever think about why there's so much brokenness in the world? Just ask them that question. You ever think about it? And ask them what, what they think. And then let them talk. Let them share. Don't disagree with them. Don't correct them. Just let them say whatever they want to say. Alright? And then after you've let them talk and say, because... You're showing your, your concern for them to let them speak. And then you ask, have you ever heard the, the Bible's explanation for this? May I show you? Now you've listened to them. And now all you're asking in return is the, for them to give you what? A little time for you to share, right? And so you do with this three-circle illustration. The first circle you draw here. And that, uh, there's three circles. Hence the, the name of it. It's called Three Circles. And by the way, there's an app for that. <laughs> I encourage you to get this app on your phone and use this. I use some different scriptures with it. I use some of theirs and some that I use on my own. And I'm going to share that with you. But you, the first circle is you draw a napkin or whatever you can find to draw on. Even if it's on the dirt, if you're out at a park or something. You, you draw that first set, a section, you say, well, first of all, there's God's design God's design and the uh, I'm dyslexic God's design and you explain to them what God's design was and in, in, the, in Genesis in the creation story after he created everything in, in Genesis chapter 1 verse 31 it said God saw everything that he made and indeed it was saying. What was, the, what was the, uh, the word before good? Very good. Each time though, uh, Linda, you're right. All the first times until after he created Adam and Eve, after he created man, he said it was good, it was good. Then when it was all finished, he said it was very good. It was very good. 
God's original design was perfection. Perfection was God's original design for us. And, but uh, something happened, didn't it? Something, it's not perfect anymore, is it? Now, we can get some glimpse of things close to perfect, like a beautiful sunset or a sunrise. By the way, what do you like the most, the sunrise or the sunset? Sunrise, raise your hand. Sunset, raise your hand. Most people, sunset. You know why? Because they're not awake for the sunrise. I like the sunrise. I get up early in the morning. I love the sunrise. But we see the beauty in God's creation at the beach or in the mountains or whatever. And, and, uh, but that's just a glimpse of it. Our world is a broken world. Because in this beautiful sunrise and sunset come tornadoes, come in that day or night, come uh, hurricanes and all kind of earthquakes and disasters. That's all effect of the sin uh, uh, fallen world that we live in. But God's original plan, plan was perfection. And then you, you explain to them uh, what happened. What happened is here you draw an arrow and you, you write down this simple little word right here. Sin. Sin is what happened. That's what happened. Adam and Eve sinned. God told them clearly what, he, what they were created for and what He had for them to do. He wanted them to enjoy everything, everything except what? One thing. God had to give them a choice, Right? And so he said, everything's yours except one thing. And what did they do? They chose the one thing they were told not to do. Everything else they could do. A million gazillion things they could do. One thing they could not do, because he said the day you do it will be the day you die. In chapter 2 of Genesis, verses 5, 15 and 17, again, as you're sharing with people, if you have a Bible, you can open your Bible up on your phone or your Bible and let them read it for themselves so they know it's not just something you're making up. There's something powerful when somebody reads it for themselves. And it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely say it, Die! Die. Die. And then we read over in chapter 3, uh, the serpent uh, beguiles Eve, and we see in verse 6 it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was uh, pleasant to the eye, and desirable to make one wise, she took of it, of its fruit, and ate. She also gave to her husband, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, which they had heard many times before, and had fellowship with the Lord in the garden. I love that hymn in the garden. Love that song. Uh, and so they, they knew that. They had many fellowship, times of fellowship with Him in the garden. And it said that He was coming in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, what did they do? hid themselves. That had never happened before. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. You know why they hid themselves? Because they died. We said, no, they're still living, preacher. No, they died. Well, they're still living, preacher. They're actually hiding. They hear the Lord. They had to be alive to do that. No, they died. See, your, your, your understanding of the word death is, is faulty. It's faulty. A lot of people think that death means end, like dead end. It means the end. Death is in. It's the end. Death. The word death does not mean, the root word of that word, the root word of death does not mean end. It just means separation. Death is not the end. It's only a separation from something. They died right then, and they knew it. They were separated from who? From God. Now, eventually, their bodies did die. And their, their souls were separated from their bodies. But they did not cease to be. They still exist somewhere. They're just separated. But that very moment, they, they were separated from God in their fellowship and relationship. And so sin brought this. And here's what we know. Romans 3, 
23. Who knows what that says? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody. Man, the word that falls short. The actual word for sin, the Greek word for sin, harmatia. Who knows what that word means? Fall short. Come up short. That word harmatia was a word that was used for an archer who would draw back his bow and aim for a target, but he would miss it. That means he sinned. He came short of that target. What's God's target? Thank you, Tom. Perfection. And we all have sinned and fall short. Fall so very, very, very short. It's not like some of us get close. We all fall short. Now, some of us get closer than others, right? But we all fall so miserably far, fall uh, short of the glory of God. We all miss the mark. And that the wages of sin is death. That's Romans 6.23. 6, 23. We all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Separation. And uh, separation, if you die in that separation from God, you spend what? Your eternity separated from God. And where is that? In hell. The wages of sin is death. So this sin brought death. And another word for that death that we, we use here is brokenness. So you draw the third circle. Brokenness. Sin brought all this brokenness into the world. We are broken people in a broken world. The best of us is broken. And I'm, I'm, there's a couple that want me to marry them. I'm doing counseling with them. And I've, I've shared this with them. I went over this with them, shared the gospel with them. And the thing is you need to understand, uh, two people, two broken people are coming together to make something. Right? Are the two people coming together to make a family? So if two broken people are coming to make something, what is the something that they're making going to be? It's broken. How can two broken people make something that's not broken? There's going to be brokenness in this. And the only thing that we can hope for is to be less broken. So the wages of sin is death and it brings this brokenness in, into the world. And everyone knows something's wrong, right? We all know something's wrong with us and something's wrong with the world. We all know it. And uh, we all try to fix our brokenness. But we try to fix our brokenness our way. Right? What was Frank Sinatra's song? Uh, I did it what? my way. And we try to do it my way. We try to do it our way. We have all these various issues. And How do some people try to fix their brokenness? You can draw that little arrow. We try to fix our brokenness. Try to get out of brokenness. What's the way people try to fix their brokenness? Drugs? Yeah. Addiction? Drugs? Man, there's a whole lot of people on drugs. Just ask my wife, the emergency room nurse. There's a whole lot of that going on. What's another one? Religion. There you go, Wes. Excellent. Religion. But the religion is man-made. Right? So religion that is man-made, what is it going to be? The word is... What? What's the word? It's broken! Now, here's one thing that I like to do with people. Here's how people say, well, all religions are the same. You hear that? All religions are the same. Well, yes, they are, except one. All the religions are the same. Here's another illustration you can do. Yeah, all religions are the same because they're man-made. All of them except one. Here's how you know it. Because even though they're very different in very many aspects, they're all basically what I call do. Do religions. You do enough good, and you get to go where? To heaven or whatever type of heaven they believe in. Maybe you're reincarnated into a better life the next life. You do more good, reincarnated to a better life the next life. Until eventually you reach nirvana, you never have to come back to the world again. It's whatever heaven their heaven is, 
It's always what? You be a good enough person and God lets you into heaven. There's only one, only one religion with a different message. It's not spelled do, it's spelled what? Done. Done. Jesus said it is finished. It's accomplished. It's completed. Jesus did it. It's the done. But people try to fix it. And, and it's the do religion, but it's done by broken people. So it's broken. It doesn't work. And there are other various addictions or whatever, hobby, sports, fame, power. Power. And we could go on and on. There are all kinds of ways that people try to fix this, this brokenness in their life, but none of it works. You know why it doesn't work? It doesn't work because of Romans 125. Write that verse down. See, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. These are all lies. Lie, 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 lie. They're all lies. And the, a lie's never going to fix anything, is it? So they exchanged the truth of God, who God is, and, and His purpose in creating us and what we're here for. They exchanged that for a lie. And the basic lie is I'm God. I'm going to make my decision. I'm going to go my way. I'm going to do what I think is best. Don't tell me how to live my life. Don't tell me what to do. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. And there are all kinds of lies that they believe. And we all believe in, in lies from time to time. So that's the situation. That's why brokenness in the world. And if we stopped here, that's, that's a bummer, isn't it? But there's good news. What's the Bible word for good news? Gospel. gospel. There's the good news. And this is the gospel. That God did not leave us to live and die in our brokenness. Amen. Aren't you glad about that? God could have just left us and said, alright, that's it. But He did not leave us to live and die in our brokenness. The most famous verse in all the Bible, you'll probably see it if you watch some football today on somebody's sign they're holding it up if the camera doesn't avoid it. John 3.16, say it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's the good news of the Gospel. And what Jesus did is God gave His Son, I, I, I talked about that a little a while ago, that God sent perfection back into the broken world. Perfection walked on two feet on this earth 2,000 years ago. And He lived the perfect life that we could not. He pleased, pleased the Father. This is My Son, He said from heaven, in whom I am well pleased. He lived the perfect life for us that we could not. And then, in the garden, He drunk the dread, the dregs of our wickedness and sinfulness. Remember Jesus in the garden, He was praying... Father, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. What was that cup? The cup of the, the sins of the world being on Him. Here is holy, righteous God in human flesh becoming sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. How? It's not... The love of God is not seen in... in, in to, to the max in that Jesus died for us the love of God is seen in the max that He became sin for us the death was secondary the physical death that He went through was secondary compared to what? becoming sin and the wrath of holy God coming on His own Son for our sins we think the, the death, the cruel death on the cross was the worst part. No, it was Him becoming sin and separated from His Father. And He cried on the cross because what does sin do? It brings death. What does death mean? Separation. It separates. Why, why did Jesus cry on the cross? My God, my God, why have you what? Forsaken me. God forsook His own Son so that He could accept you. Wow. God, the good news is God did not leave us to live and die in our brokenness. That's the gospel. 
And we even see in Genesis, back in Genesis chapter 3, right after their sin and their fall, we see two messages from God that point to what He was going to do. And so this might be a, another word, another thing you want to share with them. So write down Genesis 3.15 and 21. In Genesis 3.15, God is cursing the serpent and saying uh, what's going to be the result of the cause of uh, Satan using the serpent to beguile Eve. And uh, he said this in verse 15. Uh, he said, I'm going to put enmity between uh, you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Now, how many seeds have come from Eve? Very good. Only one from Eve. How many seeds have come from Adam? Billions. Right? Billions of people have been born through uh, Adam and Eve throughout the history of the world. Billions. But you know, in the Hebrew, when it said her seed, it's not plural as in many, it's singular as in one. And the only time it's referred to seed of a woman is here. Because seed is from a who? From the man. But yet Jesus came from God the Father. He was virgin born through Mary. So this was hinting to what God was going to do, that God was going to send one certain seed through the woman, not through the man, but through the woman. And what's he, what's he going to do to that serpent's head? He's going to crush it. And he did that. He crushed the serpent on the cross and through the resurrection. He crushed the serpent's head. Yeah, the serpent struck his heel. Satan had a heyday that day when they flogged Jesus, when they crowned him, when they spit in his face, when they hit him with reeds, when they mocked on him, and they nailed him to the cross. Satan had a heyday, but that was his undoing. If he had known better, he wouldn't have done it. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> so that's the good news of the gospel. And it says, as I share with you in Romans 6, 23, the first part, A, the wages of sin is death. Here, Romans 6.23 says, yes, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So how do we get from this brokenness to the good news? You draw that arrow there, and the way you get through here is through Jesus Christ. Well, how do you do it? Well, there's two words. It's called repentance. Repent. And believe. So you repent and believe the gospel. You know, when you think about that, that uh, Romans six twenty three. I love that three letter word, but <laughs> the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, my Lord. You know, people nowadays are into uh, choosing their preferred gender. Well, I wanna, I, I'm going to choose my preferred conjunction. My preferred conjunction is but. Jay Lawrenson deserves hell, but by the grace of God, he's getting heaven. I love that word. That's my preferred conjunction, people. <laughs> I have a preferred conjunction. It's but. What I deserve, but I don't, I'm not going to get what I deserve. I'm going to get God's grace instead. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And how do we get repentance and faith? In Mark chapter 1 verse 15, Mark 1 15, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Can't be any clearer than that. Jesus said, repent and believe. That's what you need to do, is repent and believe the gospel. Also in, in Paul, the Apostle Paul, this is a passage I like too. In Acts 20, verse 20 through 21, the Apostle Paul uh, says he's speaking to the Ephesian elders 
And he's last time I'm going to see you guys. He's going to Rome. He says, I'm probably going to die last time I see you guys. And they're all in tears saying goodbye to him. But he said to them, and I kept back nothing that was profitable to you. But testify to you both publicly and house to house. Because they met in houses. Repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus. That's what he said. Publicly and for house to house. I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. This is what profits you. Repentance toward God and faith. I want to ask you a question, my friend. Are you keeping what is most profitable from your family, from your friends, from your acquaintances? What's most profitable? Well, you can get a good deal on a car, a good investment, Bitcoin, I don't know. What's most profitable? What's the most profitable information that you could give to somebody? What's the only profitable information? Because what will it profit a man if he, say it, gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What is the only, not just most profitable, what is the only thing that's truly profitable? Repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I, kept, I didn't keep that back from you. Repentance and faith. What Repentance and faith. Repent. What does that mean? The actual word, Greek word, means a change of mind. See, they changed the truth of God for lie. We wanted to lie, and we didn't want to believe the truth. But now we have a change of mind. Now we want to believe the truth and, and reject the lie. It's we're living our life our way, going our own direction, doing what we want to do, and we repent, and we repentance toward God. We, turn, we don't just turn over a new leaf. We don't just repent and stop doing something we were doing. We repent toward who? God. And we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord. It's a change of mind and heart that leads to a change of direction. And guess what? You can't do that on your own. It has to be a gift from God. And if God's offering you that gift, you better jump on it. Repentance. That's what repentance is. And there are a lot of people who live repentance off when they should... Man, you can't be saved without repentance. You can't be saved with people say, well, it's just a, that's a work. No, it's not. It's a belief. And people say, well, how does repentance and faith work? Let me tell you this. Repentance and faith are the, are, are the same coin. They're just one side and is on one and one side's the other. You cannot get a heads of a quarter without also getting the tails of a quarter. Right? When you get a quarter, you get both what? Heads and tails. When you get saved, you get both what? Repentance and faith. Listen, you can't repent unless you what? Believe. And you can't truly believe without what? Repentance. Because if you truly believe, you will repent. There's no accepting Jesus as a Savior without Jesus as Lord. Now, uh, so repentance is turning from going your own way and turning to God. And then you put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith. It says believe here because we don't have an English word for faith. I hate that. I wish we had a. I wish we had an English word for faith. An English English verb for faith, because believe can be what? Oh yeah, I believe in God. It's not about just believing in your mind. It's about trusting with your what? With your heart. With all of your with your your the the the, the center of your being. Now the difference between there's a difference between faith in and uh, faith that. And here's the thing about it. There are a lot of people that sit in church Sunday after Sunday. They have faith that. They have faith that Jesus, that God created us. They have faith that Jesus came and died on the cross uh, for our sins. They have faith that He's going to come back again. They believe all that. They have faith that that, that happened. The problem is they don't have faith in Him. There's a difference. I'll give you an example. You know, a lot of people, a lot of atheists, they they don't want to uh, they don't want to say they have faith. They don't want to believe in any of that, regardless of the facts. They don't want to believe it. 
because they want to stay in their ignorance and keep living the lives they want to live. And so they don't, they don't want to uh, believe in, they don't even do, they don't, want, they don't want to even have faith in that. They don't have faith in it, regardless of the facts. I'll explain it like this. I've heard this before. Let's say that, uh, have you ever known anybody that's afraid to fly? Raise your hand, faith, afraid to fly on an airplane. Okay, you have two people that are afraid to fly. You have those that are afraid to fly. They know the facts. And it's actually, you're safer getting an airplane and flying than you are getting in a car and driving. Those are the facts. All right? There are those who know those facts, and yet they're still what? Afraid to fly. Then there are those who say, oh, I don't, they don't want to hear the facts. They don't want to hear the facts because they don't want to look unreasonable for not being willing to fly. So they don't want to hear about the facts. They just want to say, well, it's dangerous to fly. I'm not going to fly. Even though it's more dangerous to drive than actually to fly. And that's the way a lot of atheists are. They don't want to hear the facts. They, 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 and they say they don't have faith. <laughs> they have more faith than what? I like uh, what Dr. Frank Turk says. Uh, 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 I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. <laughs> they do. They have more faith than we do. They really do. I don't have faith, I don't have blind faith. Well, yeah, you do. You don't have the facts about how this earth got here. There's no scientific fact about how we got here. You, you, you're making a guess, but there's no fact. So what? You believe it on what? Faith. So what you believe, you believe in a miracle that something came from nothing, not just one miracle. You also believe in another miracle, that non-organic matter just became... Organic matter, non-living matter became living matter. And on top of that, you also believe that non-intelligence produced what? Intelligence. You have a whole lot of faith. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. That's what I don't have enough. I don't have enough. You believe in a miracle without a miracle worker. I believe in a miracle with an eternal, all-powerful miracle worker. Who has more faith? You have more faith than I do. Your faith is blind. My faith is reasonable faith. And so, uh, the, the, having faith, there's the difference between having faith in and having faith that. And not only a, there's a difference in that that you need to understand, there's also a difference in uh, your faith versus what your faith is in. Okay? There's a difference between just your faith and what your faith is in. There's a difference between the object of your faith and the strength of your faith. And I try to explain this to people because they need to understand it. Because they think that if, if I believe something hard enough, I'm just believe it hard enough that it's what? It's going to happen or it's true. If, and we got a lot of people that claim to be Christians that believe this kind of stuff. If I just believe it enough that it's going to happen, I believe it enough it's true. Now listen, the sincerity of your faith does not affect anything about the reality of something. It doesn't affect. The reality of something is what it is, regardless of whether you believe in it or not. I had a friend in college who had watched Mary Poppins. You ever watched Mary Poppins? What did Mary Poppins do with an umbrella? Fly. So he got an umbrella, and he climbed up on top of his roof of his house, and he was going. He really believed he was going to fly, even though he wasn't a woman. <laughs> he believed he was going to fly. Like Mary Poppins. Well, what happened to him? Did he just slowly glide down to the ground? No, he hit it like an anvil. I mean, he, boom, he went down. He said the, the uh, umbrella went, <laughs> you know how it shoots up with a, a bad wind. It just broke it. He went down, broke his leg, busted his mouth. His knee came up. Uh, uh, he had a root. His faith did not change what? The facts of gravity. So the, it's not... The most important thing is not the strength of your faith. The most important thing is the, the strength of the object of your faith. That's what's important. And when, uh, when you listen to man and what man has to say, you're putting your faith in something that is what? Fallible. But when you listen to what God has to say, you're putting your faith in the infallible. So it's the object of your faith. Now, I'm not saying you don't need to have strong faith. We need to be strong in the faith, but our faith needs to be in that which is truly strong, right? It needs to be in the right place. 
And so, when you told me this, how we get out of this brokenness, is we hear the gospel, and then we believe it to the point we repent and have faith in it. We don't just have faith about it, we have faith in it. And I tell people all the time, most people in America are going to miss, uh, miss heaven and make it to hell by 18 inches. The difference between your head and your heart. Because most people in America have some type of mental belief or whatever, but it's not the belief in your heart because the Bible says what? What does the Bible say? That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, Romans 10, 9. I'm going to put this over on this other side. 10-9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Why do you say confess with your mouth? Is there something magical about saying it like abracadabra or hocus pocus? Or No, because to confess it with your mouth at that time and place meant what? You're, you're, you're putting your life on the line. Putting your life on the line. You know, when, when our, our such a horrible, tragic blunder of withdrawing from Afghanistan the way we did it. I was for withdrawing, but not, not the way it was done. Uh, our government had made the Christians there in Afghan to put on their identification cards that they were what? Christians. Now, when we all withdrew, what made them? What, what did that make them? Sitting ducks. And you know what they were saying? I'm not going to change my ID. Amen? But you know what? I gave money, and a lot of people we gave, uh, a certain group gave over $35 million to rescue those Christians. Now, sometimes you can't rescue them. Sometimes God didn't rescue people because they died for their faith. But they believe. You've got to believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you're unashamed of it. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You've got to believe with your heart. It means it's got to be real. And then what happens after that? Well, draw this arrow here. God uh, puts you back on the, uh, the path to recover and pursue His design for us. God gives you when, you, when you repent of your sin and you believe the gospel with your heart, God gives you a new heart. Matter of fact, He's giving you that new heart as you're doing that because you couldn't do it without a new heart. You have a new heart uh, to recover, which means uh, our purpose. What's our purpose? Why were we created? To worship God. To glorify God. That is the purpose of our creation. So God gives you a new heart heart to recover your purpose which is to live for the glory of God and worship God and to pursue God's design which is what? Perfection. To pursue it. Not to, you won't reach it in this life. You will reach it one day when He takes you home or He comes back for you. But to pursue God's design for your life. Write this verse down. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Who knows that verse? If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. All things have become new. And all things do become new. There's a new... Christ, when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, it affects every fiber of your being, every aspect of your life, whether you're a, whatever you work at, your home life, your, your, the way you raise your children, the way you are a child, the way you obey your parents. Uh, the way you relate to your spouse, the way you look for a spouse, it affects everything about... There's nothing in your life that that does not affect. So everything's what? All things are made new. All things are made new. Because Christ is in every element and fiber uh, uh, of your being, your life, and your experiences. Uh, Philippians 2.13 puts it this way. It is God who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Philippians 2.13 See, a lot of people think, well, I don't want to pursue God and pursue God's design. That's not what? Fun, right? 
Was there a time in your life where you thought serving God was not fun? Yeah. How about you? Was there been a time in your life that serving God? I remember being in church and uh, the preacher preaching. I thought I was a Christian because I believed in God. I was baptized when I was six. I'm a Christian. I've never killed anybody. And, and the preacher preached about, about committing, picking up our cross daily and following Christ. I remember, I would never say this out loud. I don't want to do that. That'd be miserable. I used to think that following God's plan for your life would be miserable. Now, I wanted God involved in my life because I wanted Him when I wanted something, needed some help in a certain area. Not like I need God in every area because I want Him to stay out of certain areas. You know what I mean? My date life, my hanging out life, things like that. I didn't want God in that, but I do want God in the other things. <clears throat> and so, I, I, you know, you, do, you don't believe that... <laughs> You don't believe that serving and following God is what you want to do with your life. You rather I hear these country stars or even athletic stars when they win something. I want to thank the adjective Lord. What's the word? Good Lord. How many of you heard that before? They don't say this much nowadays. They're afraid to even say that. But I want to thank the good Lord. They say God, what they're saying is good Lord. God is good, right? But they don't believe it. Because if they believed God was good, what would they do? They'd give Him their life. Because if God's good and I give Him my life and trust Him, my life will be what? But they don't believe that. They don't believe He's a good one. And so, but here's the thing that happens. That doesn't look good for a lot of people. But God changes your heart. And you find that is the good life. And that is what brings joy and happiness and peace to your life. That's what makes the brokenness better. You realize it because God gives you a new heart and puts you back on that path to recover and pursue of His good will. And then Ephesians 2.10, that's the last verse. Ephesians 2.8-9, By grace you save through faith that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then it goes on to say, But we are His workmanship, created in Christ, for good works. And so we're back on this path now. When you believe the gospel, you're saved. God gives you a new heart. You're a new creation. He's putting you in, in you the desire to want to and to do the ability to do of His good pleasure. And the greatest thing in your life now is pleasing God. Amen? How, how wonderful is it when you know your life is pleasing to God and you're going that way that's pleasing to God? There's nothing better in life than that. And so you're on that design... And that's what you continue to pursue, although you're, you're still living in a human sinful body. Our sinful flesh gives us problems, doesn't it? And we're fighting with that, but uh, it, we're moving that way called sanctification. And, and then one day he's going to take us home. And guess what? We'll say to sin, goodbye, no more. Um, what makes heaven to me is I think my first thought is I'll never sin against my Lord again. That's what I get excited about. How awesome is that going to be? And then we'll reach God's design, God's perfect design perfection. So the closing question is, where are you? Where are you on this illustration? That's what you asked the individual. I'm asking you, where are you right now? Where are you? Are you living in sin? Experiencing the brokenness of that sin? Which is... Could be bad now. Could be worse later. But I want to tell you what. It will be eternally worse if you die in that state. Where are you right now? Somewhere in this brokenness. Maybe you're doing some of these things here. Some of these things here trying to get out of it. Or maybe are you kind of right here? You believe that repentance and faith saves you. But you never believed in it. You never it's like the person saying, well, I'm not afraid to fly. I'm not, I have faith that the plane can get me where I need to get, but you never get on the plane to get there. You have faith that, but you don't have faith then. Have you got on the plane? Have you got on board? Have you got on board with God through repentance and faith? If you believe the gospel, where are you right now? Has there been a time when you've been more up here, but now you're back here? When you were pursuing... Uh, God's design and, and with a greater passion than you are now, that needs to change too, doesn't it? 
And how can you pursue God's design when you're not sharing the gospel? Because that is God's design for us to do that. We're going to close with a song, Turn Your Eyes. And that's what we all need. There's not a one of us here this morning that we don't need to turn our eyes once again to the Lord and to look to Him. And uh, ask Him, Lord, to help me. To, I, I'm, my heart's deceitful. Help me to examine. Am I truly a, a child of yours? Am I a believer? Lord, you know, I'm not. Can you say, maybe you say, Lord, I, I'm not where I want to be, but thank you, Lord, I'm not where I used to be. And by your grace, that's not where I'm going to continue to be because by your grace, I'm going to grow. I'm going to pursue. I'm going to recover more of what you have for me.